Talking Animals on WMNF. And before we go any further, I'd like to thank all those who donated in support of Talking Animals and WMNF's Fall Fundrise, which just concluded earlier this morning. For many, this turned out to be a challenging period to raise money. Plus, it was personally challenging. My uh, usual cross-strait drive to Tampa was thwarted by a huge accident, and then the closure of Highway 60 West prevented me from actually even getting to the radio station for my fun drive show. So I tried to participate by phone from my car, and uh, despite valiant efforts by Sean Canan and the fabulous flea helping me in the studio, I uh, did not reach my goal. So last I looked, I was about four or $500 short of that goal. So if we didn't have a chance to pledge last week or, or would like to actually co- contribute again, please visit wmnf.org slash donate. And then in the drop-down menu where you see for direct your donation to, please indicate your donation is for TLA. That's the code for Talking Animals. So it says TLA Talking Animals. I'd really appreciate it. I'd love to make up the, uh, the deficit after kind of a rough, uh, rough morning last, uh, last Wednesday. So, And along those lines, I still want to mention one more time, I've got uh, this incredible pair of tickets to see Dave Chappelle October 29th at Amelie Arena. And again, you know him from the Chappelle Show many years ago. He's won five Emmy Awards, uh, some of those for his great Netflix specials, some of those for hosting Saturday Night Live. He's received four Grammy Awards for Best Comedy Album. And we have two of the best seats in the house. These are the kind of tickets that uh, Chappelle's uh, friends or family members would receive. They're provided, in fact, by the concert promoter uh, in support of Talking Animals and WMNF. So, again, that's October 29th at Emily Arena. The show is going to sell out. It's one of those shows where you have to check your phone when you first get there, like many high-level comedy shows these days. Um, but uh, tickets for this kind of uh, seats that we have will be probably at least 500 bucks a pop, and we're asking $500 for the pair, which, of course, would all go to WMNF in supporting the station and its fall fun drive and helping us make up our uh, deficit on the goal. So uh, if you're interested in the Chappelle tickets, in that case, please uh, email dj at wmnf.org, and then we'll make an, make an arrangement from there. But otherwise, um, if you can go to wmnf.org, if you just want to support Talking Animals with whatever contribution you can swing, just go to wnf.org slash donate. And again, just look for the drop-down menu where it says direct your donation to. And just please indicate that that donation is intended for TLA Talking Animals. Really appreciate it. Love to, uh, uh, even if it's a, a week or so later, I'd love to make, uh, make our goal as we typically do each fund drive. So, with that said, my guest today is Ann Paul. 
an organizer of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival. That festival has a multifaceted, multi-day extravaganza happening October 12th through 15th, starting tomorrow, obviously, in and around Apollo Beach, Florida, designed for lovers of birds, animals, and outdoor adventures. Across the four days, the festival will present a brimming slate of activities and experiences, including field trips, boat outings, seminars, keynote speakers, and a nature expo. This heads up to an impressive gamut of programming, ranging from seminars on the long-spined sea urchin, Birds of the Tampa Bay National Wildlife Refuge, Florida Butterflies, the Dolphins of Sarasota Bay, the Extinction of the Ivory-Billed Woodpecker, and a session called Birding 101, among many, many other offerings, including keynote talks by Stan Tekiela about bird migration and David Johnson about burrowing owls and so forth, so on. It's just uh, amazing the gamut and range of things they're offering at the uh, the festival this uh, these next few days. So again, that includes field trips, boat trips, other experiences, and um, treks to a slew of preserves, parks, and other locations. Anyway, we'll find out all about that when we speak to Ann Paul in just a moment. And she uh, serves on the festival board, and she's also served in, as president of the Florida Ornithological Society and the Tampa Audubon Society. So we'll discuss various aspects of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival when I speak with Anne in just a moment or two here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Gracie Topp from the Humane Society of Pinellas, giving us the lowdown on the organization's big event, Walk for Whispers, happening this Saturday, October 14th in Pioneer Park in Dunedin. We'll hear some details from Topp, whom longtime WMNF and Talking Animals listeners will know by her maiden name, Grisha. It's Gracie Grisha. So we'll speak with Gracie later in the show. Right now, though, let's talk birding and nature and a festival that celebrates both with Ann Paul. As a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Ann Paul on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Ann. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. Well, I'm glad to be here. You know, we we had had a conversation last year about the same subject, and you know that was fun. And I and I, you know, really look forward to talking about the festival right now, and hope that many people will come and join us, even if they aren't signed up yet. So for sure. Well, yeah, of course, we are here chiefly to discuss the the festival, and we will have plenty to uh, to cover there. But since much of the festival is kind of aimed at the joy of birding or really even cultivating the joy of birding. Let's let's first explore some of your own birding experiences and your own related joy that goes with that. So the last time we did speak, just before last year's festival, you told a story about your first foray into birding, I believe, and it was illuminating in multiple ways, including for people whose interests uh, are, at the moment at least, focused maybe chiefly on mammals. They aren't really intrigued by birds yet. But that could shift, as your own example maybe makes clear. So maybe you could sort of just recount that story a little bit for us now. Well, um, I was at the time I was living in Texas, and and I had joined the um, the Bear Audubon Society, which is B E X A R. That's the county um, that San Antonio is in. And uh, I went on a field trip, and and at the time when I turned up, I was about five minutes late, which meant that all the rest of the participants had already left the parking lot. So I scurried up the trail hoping I could catch up with them. And I had my binoculars and I had a bird book with me. 
and um, came around the corner on the on the trail there at the nature preserve, and there was a little bird in a scrubby little oak tree. And I stopped and I looked at it, and I I knew enough at that point that I thought, well, that might be a warbler. And when I tuned my binoculars into it, I noticed that it was really really active, and um, but particularly that that it was black and white stripes kind of um, uh, variated plumage on the on the feathers on this little tiny very active very beautiful tiny little bird yeah and so I thought to myself wow looks like a warbler so I got my book out and I turned to the warblers and then there's a bird there called the black and white warbler and it was it it was the one and I was able to actually I thought to myself, look, I can do this. This is not beyond me. And But what really also I came to appreciate is knowing the name helped me kind of focus on the bird's behavior, what it was doing. It was feeding on the um, little nooks and crevices in the tiny oak tree there, the little oak, um, scrub oak. And it was looking, you know, with its eyes, you know, one inch from the bark and was peering underneath all the little um, holes or openings under the bark and at the edges of the leaves and where the leaves connected to the trunk. And sometimes it actually seemed to hang upside down. And I recognized that by knowing the name of the bird, it helped me sort of have a hook that I could put other information about that bird. And the more I watched it, the more I kind of came to know it and to appreciate that little tiny focus of, of light yeah, of, uh, and life. And it was just, it was thrilling to me. And I've experienced that many times as I've learned more and more birds. I'm not really a good birder myself. Oh, what, now what constitutes a good birder? Well, I mean, I'm not an excellent birder. I'm a, I'm a, reasonable birder okay um, but, well what what makes a reasonable birder as opposed to an excellent birder i guess then let's well i think i think you know i always say to people you even if you're a beginner you know more about birds than you think you do for instance you know what a crow is you know what a what a dove is you you know what a gull is you know you yeah know what a turkey turkeys you know what an ostr- uh, an ostrich is and um, when you have a chance to look at, you know, um, birds that are in your in your yard or your neighborhood or on a walk or on a field trip, if you go on one, either with a festival or an Audubon group or the Florida Ornithological Society field trips, you have a chance to see other birds and compare them with the bit that you do know. And um, it's just, it, it's like, peeling back an onion, the more you know, the more you want to know, and every bit of it is interesting. And the fact is, with binoculars, we can watch these birds do their most intimate behavior. We can watch them, you know, as I did with a black and white warbler foraging. We can watch them um, as they preen and take care of their, their feathers, which is so important to them. I mean, it's it's how they make their living, and it's how they protect themselves from the weather and, and many things that, have, that feathers do. Yeah. And then we can watch them courting. We can, we can watch them mating. We can watch them raise their young. You know, and the more you know, it's just so much fun. Even if you're not a bird person per se, you know, um, 
what the more we know about our natural world, I think the better we are to interpret how we fit in it as humans. Yeah. And um, so, so anyway, I, I encourage people to learn more about birds because I I tell people who are beginning birders, you know, um, it will enrich your life. You will never be bored. For instance, sitting in the parking lot. Maybe you have to sit in the parking lot at Home Depot or, or Albertsons or Publix waiting for somebody to come out, you know, and yeah. you're waiting. Now you can watch the English sparrows, and they're feeding their babies, and they're hopping around and looking for food that somebody's dropped a crumb here or there. You know, you can, you know, you go to the beach, and, and there's so much bird-wise to see there. Sure. Sanderlings running up and down, you know, with each wave, just pulling little tiny insects and and invertebrates out of the sand and then you know a pelican flies by yeah dives into the water lots of bird action yeah and here you know i have to say i've been recently traveling i went to colorado recently and i'm looking around and i don't see very many birds you cannot not see birds here in the tampa bay area yeah we have birds i mean we have so many Beautiful, active birds right around us. You know, whether you're in downtown Tampa, walking along the Riverwalk, or or at our beautiful beaches, or out on our bay, or wherever you are, we've got birds of great variety, and many of them are large enough to really see birds like um, the the little warblers that I was talking about with yeah. the You know, they're a little bit trickier, and you and you have to really kind of concentrate to watch them because they're so busy and they're in the trees and you know every time you know <laughs> a lot of times you focus in on them with your binoculars and then they move sure. and go behind the trunk you know or something and so when you get a good look at them wow you're you have accomplished something because you're but anyway i'm saying you know we have on at the festival some of the best birders in florida and practically, in, I should say, the United States, helping people see the birds and yeah. appreciate what they are. In fact, um, last year we, we had a long spur uh, that was identified at Honeymoon Island State Park and, by our experts. And that bird almost never is in Florida. It was, a, it was um, you know, kind of um, a bird that really, if you didn't know birds well, you would never even think to find it here in the state. So it's a total anomaly to, to, to see it in this area, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. It was exciting. That was the what we ended up calling the best bird of the festival last huh. year because it was so unique to, to find it. And then, fortunately, our field trip leaders are experienced enough that they could identify it. They ended up taking a picture and sending it in as a record for the state. So... Wow. Did the Longspur come uh, accept his award as the best bird in the uh, festival? Well, we, the the leaders of the festival decided that. Yeah, no, I just thought it would be nice if the bird actually was able to receive the award somehow. That's probably pushing our luck. (laughs) But uh, let me me just back up for a sec. We'll get into the festival stuff uh, post-haste, I I assure you. But one thing I'm just curious about, um, about your story about the uh, black and white warbler, from what you've known, being in birding, obviously now many, many years since that that first uh, day that you just recounted, do most people have the kind of uh, 
sort of transcendent experience that you kind of described. Um, and again, partly it might have been in a weird way more fortuitous that you were late that day that you had that kind of experience. But it just sounded like it was so powerful and joyful and uh, unusual. And I'm just wondering if most people's first bird, uh, you know, specifically in that kind of uh, birding adventure or attempted adventure, uh, if they have the kind of experience that you had or if it's sometimes a little less uh, monumental than that. I think I think most people, birders that I talk to, talk about what they call a spark bird, what, a bird that they'll never forget when they first saw it. Yeah. You know, um, we might, all of us have seen, you know, morning doves in our yard and, you know, we, we don't really recognize how cool that is or blue jays or mockingbirds and, or so forth. Yeah. But there is, for most people, there is, you know, an experience that they will never forget. And, they, and, and frankly, that feeling of joy is one that gets repeated. Yeah. Over and over and over when you're birding because essentially every time you see an animal that you have not recognized as as something that that exists in the world with you with us, with all of us. You know, if you every time we we see it's just you feel this feeling of joy and appreciation. And um we've we've got something like five hundred species of birds that have are recognized by the Florida Ornithological Society as being part of the Florida landscape. Not that they are here all, all of the time. Um, some of them nest here. Some of them just spend the winter here. Some of them just migrate through going um, north in the spring and south in the fall. You know, we've all seen... <laughs> I always remember that cartoon that we used to see where, where um, you know, uh, Daffy Duck would would be flying south carrying his his um, suitcase headed south for the winter, you know. Mm-hmm. But the birds are really doing that, and we are in peak migration right now. Yeah. Which is why we have the festival now. And um, because we want to give our participants the opportunity to see the birds that live here all year round, like the brown pelicans and um, the white ibis, but also to be able to see some of the other birds that are coming here for the for, to spend the winter with us and from having nested further north in, in North America up into, you know, New England and Canada and so forth. And they've mi- they're migrating down which, which we call the, what we call the Atlantic Flyway, you know, down through Florida, and then many of them cross over to Cuba and then the Yucatan Peninsula and then head all the way down to Central and South America. Um, so we get to see some of those birds and um, here in the fall migration. And it's just, it's a truly exciting time to be out bird watching yeah. in Florida. Of course, when you're out there, you get to see the other animals, maybe. Sure. Well, that, that, brings, me to, that brings me to sort of a key question in a way, because not surprisingly, probably most people that are listening to this show are interested in animals, fans of animals maybe passionate about animals. But um, for those listening who aren't birders, at least not yet, um, what, what you've kind of t- talked about the joy of uh, that initial experience with the black and white warbler, but just generally, what 
Maybe you could describe what you love so much about birds after a lifetime of, of, of birding and maybe related to that, try to address what are non-birders missing that maybe if they just try a little bit harder or try a different approach or whatever, maybe they'll too become birders. Well, um, there's, you know, um, it's such a good question, you know. It's, it's a question of paying attention to the, to the details. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll talk to people about when you start to watch birds, you're noticing, you know, the size difference, the plumage dis- difference, where they live, the length of the beak related to what they eat, you know, um, and all of that relates to how they raise their young. Um, and if you're, if you're not, Focusing on some of that, you're just blocked off from a whole whole world of experiences. To me, um, when I, for instance, first went and swam on a coral reef, it was like that opened up a whole new world to me of excitement and beauty that, um, having never done that before, I didn't know about. And birding is similar to that. But it's above ground and you know above the above water. Yeah. And um, you know we can we can do this anytime we want. Um, you know, particularly in the day. I I am a birder because um, they're up when we're up. Um, you know, if you're studying mammals, it's a little harder because many of them are so nocturnal, mm-hmm. and we get to see their poop or their tracks and. As much as we appreciate that, we, we're not watching pretty much the, the day-to-day activity that is really easy to see with birds if you have, particularly if you have a reasonable pair of binoculars. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a hobby, and hobbies that get us out in nature, any kind of hobby you do in nature is just really good for your soul. For sure. And um, bird watching is one of those. Um, I'm not saying it's better than golf. I'm saying... If you play tennis or golf or or boat or fish or whatever, you know, you're spending a certain amount on your equipment. And for you can get a really good pair of binoculars for $100. Um, If you spend $300, you'll get it'll be better. Mm -hmm. Truly, you get what you pay for. But but that's you buy it once. And if you never lose them here, you have a piece of equipment you can use. Literally every day of your life. And, for instance, if you go to a concert or a ball game, you can also... <laughs> you can take your birdie binoculars for other purposes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's great. It's, you know, it's, it's an investment in you being in nature and feeling nature around you. And um, birding is good that way. It's not to say, you know, we don't also love and appreciate, you know, manatees and Dolphins and crabs. And, right. And well, as you crabs. noted, I mean, sometimes when you're out primarily birding, you're going to also see some of those uh, animals depending on where you're birding at the time anyway. So it's not like it's yeah. one or the other. Um, Snakes, so, alligators, turtles. Yeah. You know, uh, all of it. You can maybe get a, a glimpse of, um, you know, a fox or a raccoon or an armadillo. You know, it's, you know, there's so much to see. And, and just getting out in nature is so important. We're finding out study after study is showing that it's really good for our mental health and our physical health. 
because we reduce our stress anytime you're out in nature. You just feel the day-to-day worries um, drop away. Yeah. If you're not birding, if you're just out on a boat or at the beach with your family, you know, here you are, you're not, you know, trying to watch the news, which is enough to make everybody crazy right now. For um, sure. Or, you know, you're not on your computer, you're not on your cell phone, you're in the moment. And yeah. And we're in the moment out in nature, that's good for our, our health. Yeah. And so that's really a large part of what we're trying to accomplish with the festival. But another really big thing that we're trying to do is to help our leaders appreciate the fact that by setting aside areas for wildlife, um, we are protecting places that people can go um, and people are coming to this region from literally all over the United States to um, share our wildlife. Most people who attend the festival are coming, you know, from the region. Um, but we are getting people from all over Florida. And last year we had people from 10 states. I haven't analyzed this year's participation yet, but um, that's pretty cool when you have people from other states flying in, spending money at hotels to come to our festival and see our birds with us and our nature. You know, that's important. And when our community leaders are protecting habitat. They're protecting our clean air and water. They're protecting our opportunity to go out and experience nature, you know, at, in our preserves and our national wildlife refuges and our state park. And and um, so it's good for the visitors. It's good for us as residents yeah. to, to have that. And and it's good for the future of the planet. You know, if, if panthers and, and bears and Foxes and and raccoons and owls and and you know all these other birds can use this habitat. You know that's something that we've protected for future generations. And there's a you know that's a legacy that I think we all need to embrace and 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 pro, you know propose and protect and yeah. work make sure we have that going in the future. And that's one of the driving forces behind our festival. No, that's really great, and that sounds like there's all kinds of virtues to, you know, any kind of impact or inroads that 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 the festival is making in that way, and getting leaders and politicians of various stripes to recognize the importance of that, especially when so many other things are going against habitat preservation, uh, development, and all kinds of um, construction, et cetera. So. Sounds like, you know, it's a great uh, sort of counter-argument, even if it's just made subtly by way of presenting the festival itself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Ann Paul, one of the organizers of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, a uh, multifaceted, multi-day extravaganza happening October 12th through 15th um, in, the, in and around the Apollo Beach area. So it's got presents field trips and boat outings and seminars and keynote speakers, a nature expo, and more. If you have a question for Ann or would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. And um, 
the website for the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, simply enough, is floridabirdingandnaturefestival.org. So you can see the schedule of activities and some of the things that we'll be talking about. Unfortunately, I mean, there's just so much that's being offered. We, there's no way we could get to everything in our time today, but uh, you can really see um, what all is offered and just what's happening what day and and uh, all kinds of other specifics about the speakers and presenters, etc. So... And along the lines of what we started off talking about, there is a seminar called Birding 101 uh, that's, uh, I'm guessing, clearly aimed at the novice, sort of the beginning birder. Um, do you want to try to describe um, what's going to happen at that uh, seminar in particular, Anne? Yeah. Um, Travis Blendon is is a, a professional birder. He works for the Great Florida Birding Trail, and he's going to be giving that talk um, He's also going to be helping to lead some field trips. Um, that that talk, I'm just looking it up. I think it's on Saturday. It's on Saturday, I think. Let's see. I'm just going down here. No, maybe it's Friday. Um, but um, he's he's going to talk about, you know, what do you do to get started? You know, what kinds of things will you focus on as you are looking at the different birds, um, what are the things that will help you become a, a bird observer, and and so on. And, um, you know, that's just really how to make it easy for yourself and how to join in, um, you know, all of this stuff. Yeah, he's talking on uh, Friday afternoon. And um, as a staff person for the for the Great Florida Birding Trail and the Florida um, Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. He's very well suited to share this kind of kind of stuff and his enthusiasm for birding. So I think that that's going to be a particularly great seminar. We we do have um, eighteen seminars being offered, and the the they're being offered at FWC's Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's. Suncoast Youth Conservation Center, which is on Dickman Road in Apollo Beach, south of the Manatee Viewing Center. And um, so we have seminars on Friday and Saturday. And that same day, the Nature Expo will also be there. The Nature Expo is free and open to the public, and we'll have um, 50 different exhibitors. Some are selling um, uh, books, binoculars, bird guides. Uh, bird feeders, but also we have bird art, um, wildlife art. Uh, we have exhibitors from the um, raptor uh, rescue uh, group here in the in the area, and they're going to have wild birds to show, um, you know, and talk about what they can do, what they do as they rehabilitate birds and protect and take care of them, particularly those who've been injured due to interactions with people. And um, so all of that stuff will be going on. Um, Also, a number of agencies and volunteer uh, environmental groups will be there, Sierra Club, um, the Audubon chapters, and uh, so forth. So a lot to see at the Nature Expo. But um, our field trips range much broader. We're going to be across the um, entire six-county uh, region with field trips in um, 
Manatee County, Sarasota County, um, Polk, Pasco, Hillsborough, and Pinellas. Um, so we're just we're we're going to all of the um, best places for birding, and we have asked the managers to help us lead the trip. So you can ask them, you know, how do you how are you managing this place so that it provides um, the best habitat for wildlife? Are you undertaking any kind of restoration work? What are you doing about exotic plants, you know, that would otherwise choke out the native plants? And why is that important? You know, all of these questions that are so important um, when managers, professional managers, are doing the best they can to keep these wild places wild for the birds and wildlife that live there, as well as some of the best birders, in, as I said, in the state and, and country, yeah. you know, providing the bird interpretation. So well, it's really well, great adventure time. Yeah. Well, we've gotten a few emails. We'll get to some of those at least, I hope, and we've gotten at least one call that we want to get involved uh, right now. So, hi, you're on Talking Animal, Van Paul. Uh, hi. Hey, listen, I've been to your festival a couple of years. It's fabulous. You've got great speakers, and the field trips are wonderful. And that's my question. Uh, the weather the next couple of days is going to be a little uh, dicey with the rain and stuff. Is that going to mess up any of the field trips, or what's the scoop on that? Very good question. Well, that, that is such a good question, and it's something that we're looking at. You know, here we are. We're in, you know, pretty much hurricane season, and we we – we designed the, the festival starting last January with our fingers crossed and, you know, toes and everything else, um, hoping that we don't get a hurricane, and we, we're not. But it looks like we are going to have some, some rain and some unsettled weather as we move into the weekend. And um, some of our field trips may end up getting canceled. What we are doing is we're asking the field trip leaders to assess the, the safety and, and is it a good idea to go ahead with a field trip or not. And, and, um, but we're hoping that most of the trips will kind of be able to go between, you know, um, the, the storms, if we have storms, um, or the weather will move through faster than, than, you know, and leave the most of the uh, events able to proceed. If someone signed up for a field trip and it gets canceled, we will refund their their uh, registration money so that they can can um, get it back. We're just really hoping that that most of the field trips will proceed, and also recognizing that this kind of weather is sometimes very good for bird watching and um, birding and other nature watching. It's not so hot for one thing, but the other thing is our migrating birds. Um, you know, we'll be coming south on the winds of some of the storms, and sometimes they get stuck here because they don't want to fly into um, windy weather. So that gives us a chance to really watch them while they're here. So bird watchers know that um, unsettled weather is a great time to be bird out in the field birding, and um, so we're we don't we don't know yet if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we are hoping for the best as far as our field trips. And and just to uh, piggyback on the, the caller's question, so would people go to the website or a social media page to get a f- kind of further update if it turns out that one or more things, unfortunately, did have to be canceled? What we'll do is we'll get in touch with the 
with the people who have signed up for the field trip. Um, oh, like by via email or something, or by email. I or, see. Or some way. Um, you know, they've provided us with contact information, and we'll get in touch with everybody. If if per chance they didn't get in an email and the field trip was canceled, um, we'll have ask our field trip leaders to be at the meeting site and um, let them know so they don't turn up and you know go away dissatisfied. Not I not see. Sure. What it happened. We're all of us just doing the best we can to of deal course. with with a situation that we we're really hoping for the best. Yeah. So here's well, at least one of the other, we'll try to get to a few of these emails. One of them says, Ann, is the Peterson's Eastern Bird Guide still the best beginner's birding guide? Can you suggest others? Oh, interesting question. Um, it is a really good guide. The Peterson Guide uses little arrows to point out the, you know, the sort of the, the signature key factor um, that differentiates a bird from a different species. So it's really good for that, and it also is really nice because it has the maps of where the birds typically are. So it helps people, for instance, on the East Coast, if you're going through the guide and you see on the map that it only occurs in California, well, it's a bird you're not likely to see here. So that helps you focus on what you are likely to see. However, I just want to point out that Stan Tequila, who is our keynote speaker for Friday night. Yeah. going to be talking about bird migration. He has published numerous um, guides that will, that should be able to help people, um, you know, uh, learn about the birds. And his are particularly good for beginning birders. So just the way they are focused and, and the way they're designed is particularly set up for beginning birders. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be here. And um, Wild Birds Unlimited is coming over, and they're going to make some of those guides available. Um, if you go to his website and look him up, Stan T E K I E L A Tequila, he, you'll be able to see the number of guides. He's just a multi-talented and very engaging speaker. Yeah, um, we're, we're really looking forward to seeing him and hearing his, his talk about bird migration. And we should Which, note like that said, beyond right in the middle of it. Yeah, I was going to just start to say that with these keynote talks, including Sands on, on bird migration, that's Friday, that uh, these keynote talks also include a uh, buffet meal, which is, um, you know, part of the uh, what you're paying for if you sign up for uh, for the keynote uh, talk or if you sign up for the festival, I guess, overall. So um, yeah. it's great to sort of have a bite to eat while you listen to uh, Stan talk about bird migration or... The next day, David Johnson, I guess, talking about burrowing owls. Same idea. Yeah. And one of the fun things about the, the you know, sharing a meal together is that if you've been on a field trip, the field, many of the field trip leaders are coming to the, the dinner so you can talk to them more about what you saw together and experienced your day. It's so much fun to review that stuff. Yeah. And uh, many of the speakers are going to be there, too. That's you great. To ask them questions and so forth. So it's a great opportunity to kind of share, share enthusiasm about the beautiful wildlife and natural areas of our region. You know, yeah. we, we all know that this area of Florida is undergoing some of the most active 
uh, population explosions of anywhere in the United States. Everybody wants to be here, and we don't blame them because it's great. But that that means that the the focus on the birding festival and and getting out in nature and so forth is is ever more important because protecting you know enough of Florida in its natural state that we can protect these animals in a sustainable population going in the future is something that we all need to really be focused on. Yeah. Well, that, in a way, as we're talking more about the offerings of the uh, festival, this, this brings me to another question I have because sometimes there's periodically things that um, sort of galvanize people's interest in birding or, or related uh, passions. So I'm uh, curious to know what your th- thoughts are about Christian Cooper. This is, of course, the birder who shot the national recognition, recognition in the wake of the kind of weird incident that happened in Central Park. But then he went on to host a show on the National Geographic Channel called Extraordinary Birder and then wrote a memoir as well. So how would you characterize his impact on the birding world? Well, I think, I think his, you know, he's, he's also a member of um, National Audubon's um, leadership. So I think, I think the thing that he brought forward is you know, birding is not just for the little old ladies in the tennis shoes. Yeah. Which you, you can cl- include me in that group. Um, okay. A little old lady, and I wear tennis shoes sometimes. <laughs> All right. But, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a, um, you know, a hobby or a vocation that anybody can be part of, um, regardless of your, your ethnicity or age or, or, um, you know, any anything, it, it, birding is for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's really what that focus, you know, it was an unfortunate incident. It was really a sad incident. I yeah, for sure. Sad for him having to live through it. I felt kind of, um, I had some, it made me have some real interesting reaction to Central Park, too. Yeah. You know, the fact that in the middle of, of all of that New York, here's this wonderful spot that people in the in the city can go to and get that nature experience that I'm talking about that we can get here in the Tampa Bay region so easily. You know, we're so fortunate here. So, you know, that was the, the real key thing I think it brought forward. And I'm hoping that a lot of different people of different backgrounds, you know, will embrace birding as something that that can mean something to them on an individual basis yeah so that that was something oh another thing that's been in the news lately that you might that we might want to talk about is the um flamingos oh for sure came up you know with ended up here in our area and actually across the united states as a result of um that hurricane that or tropical depression that came through Unfortunately, didn't impact our area too much, but kind of bad in parts of St. Petersburg and certainly Citrus County and Levy County. Yeah. Um, but an interesting thing is the flamingos came up on the winds of the hurricane and got left here. So um, we're it's kind of fun to see the flamingos in Florida. Yeah. Um, and some of them are hanging out where our field trips are going. They've been at Fort DeSoto, at Outback Key, at Honeymoon Island, and um, out in Hillsborough, East Hillsborough Bay, where the Alpha Bank trip is going. 
So people on our field trip hopefully will be able to see flamingos um, here as yeah. part of their experience. No guarantee, though, and that's part of the joy of bird watching. You sure. never know what you're going to see when you come around the corner ever. Yeah. So it's not like when you're visiting Disneyland and you're on, <laughs> the, on the jungle cruise and you come around the corner. There's and, that hippo every time, right, or whatever it is. Every, yeah. every time. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. That's part of the fun. Sure. Well, Anne, we have just about reached the end of our time. I just want to quickly, before we re- give the uh, website and some other details, just want to note some of the things that as you've made reference to that aren't uh, birding, but other things that are presented uh, over the course of the festival include a program on Florida butterflies, a program on the dolphins of Sarasota Bay, and, and other things as well. So all that can be found and more at floridabirdingandnaturefestival.org. And again... The festival starts tomorrow and this goes October 12th through 15th. And if you check out the website, you can really find out more and sign up for anything that you're interested in or the festival overall itself. So, Anne, thank you so much for joining us again on Talking Animals. And we wish you good luck and good weather uh, with the, uh, the festival. Thank you so much, Duncan. Thank you. Really a pleasure. Thank you. In a moment, I'll talk with Gracie Topp with the Humane Society of Pinellas which is gearing up for its Walk for Whiskers extravaganza happening this Saturday, October 14th in Dunedin. It's an important event for Humane Society of Pinellas, and it sounds like it's a lot of fun for all concerned. But uh, first, before that conversation, here on Talking Animals, right now we're going to step into the comedy corner with a nod to the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, a conversation we just had with Anne in a way, with a piece that involves a bird of sorts, a particular bird, and arguably nature too. This is Andy Ritchie with a piece called Baltazar in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WNF. This is funny though. Uh, somebody in my neighborhood a couple weeks ago posted a sign on a telephone pole for a lost falcon. <laughs> like the bird. They're like, we lost our falcon, help us. I'm like, I can't, I'm not the beastmaster. I can't summon wildlife from the sky. It's like, like, if you lose your dog and you post a sign, like, yeah, there's a chance you get your dog back. But if you lose your falcon, it's gone, dude. Forever. Because it can fly and it hates you. It's like going to be hanging out in the woods one day like, God damn it, I really miss that hood. Nobody puts a hood on me out here that makes me think I'm asleep. That sucks. It's like, these people are never going to get their falcon back. I was like, well, maybe they'll get their falcon back. Because they're very smart when they made the poster. They put a picture of the falcon on the poster. <laughs> yeah, which is very helpful if you're the one looking for it, right? Because that way you don't show up at their doorstep with the wrong falcon. <laughs> I think we've all been there before. It's incredibly embarrassing. For all three parties involved, really. Falcon's just like, oh, this is not my house. I don't know why the falcon's Jewish in this joke, but it's a Yiddish falcon. And then underneath the picture, they put the falcon's name, Balthazar. And there was a $300 reward for him, too. I guess they're really expensive. So I'm like, whatever. I got nothing better to do this afternoon. I start walking up and on my block like, People are giving me spare change. <laughs> Poor kids touched in the head. 
That was Andy Ritchie in today's Comedy Corner. With a piece called Balthazar, taken from his album King Dingaling. Now it's time to speak with Gracie Tomp from the Humane Society of Pinellas about this Saturday's Walk for Whiskers event. So here to give us the details, let's welcome Gracie Tomp to Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Gracie. Good morning, Duncan and WMNF listeners. Thank you for uh, joining us yet again on WMNF, although with a, with a different surname. So that's exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. Are you referencing the last name? Or yes. Oh, okay. Surname. Yeah. 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 I got hit. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thank let, you. But let's so we don't run out of time. Let's jump into. Uh, well, first, actually, let's start with something akin to an elevator pitch for, for the Humane Society of Pinellas. What What are the key things we should know about that organization and its mission? So the Humane Society of Pinellas is located in Clearwater. Uh, we are a no-kill animal shelter, and we actually are under construction. You may hear a little bit of that in the background because I stepped outside to see some of the dogs and, and such during our interview. Um, okay. And we have a new shelter coming up, uh, hopefully January 2024. So we're gearing up for fundraising, and we appreciate all the support in advance to, to get, um, get us some more funding so we can get this new shelter up and continue to save more lives in our area and in Florida, really. Right. So not coincidentally, funding is important and, and different uh, events that help raise funds for Humane Society of Pinellas are critical. So I think that brings us in some ways to Walk for Whiskers. Yeah. So Walk for Whiskers, this will be our third annual Walk for Whiskers. This year it's going to be held at Pioneer Park, um, located in the little heart of beautiful Dunedin, yeah. one of my favorite cities. And, um, yeah, we're going to have adoptable dogs, of course, as you name Society Pinellas, or as we say, HSP, adoptable dogs in our Pups at Play Corral. Uh, we have a doggy costume contest and some fabulous prizes, uh, pet geared vendors, uh, lots of sponsors. And most importantly, we have Paw Sports Stop, which is P-A-W-S-P-O-R-T. Um, that is the walk. So you go in the park, uh, Pioneer Park, and you pick up your registration T-shirts and goodie bags and enter all the contests and pet adoptable dogs and all that good jazz and have fun and mingle. And then you go walking around to neighboring businesses and you get a stamp, um, a little paw stamp on your passport. And uh, then you bring that back for the opportunity for more prizes. So it's nice to have the whole community of the needing supporting um, our walk for walk whiskers this year, especially. We appreciate everybody's support. So, if I follow this, um, Gracie, so the thing you just described is kind of what gives the event its name, but there's also whether people sign up for that or just want to come out and do other, participate in some of the other activities that you mentioned, the, the, the costume contest, et cetera. So you, you kind of just have your choice of to what, to what level you want to participate. Mainly you can just come out there. I guess it's between 2 and 6 p.m. on Saturday, correct? From 2 until 6 p.m. we have all the festivities at Pioneer Park. Yeah. You need to be registered to enter into the pet costume contest. It is a fundraiser. Okay. So you can find all of that information online at humanepinellas.org. And um, it's called Walk for Whiskers. It's right on our events page. And then uh, there's also some other information we released 
Um, we will be, we'll, we'll be releasing shortly in our blog as well. Um, so, yeah, check out our website and see what's going on with our shelter. So it sounds like if I follow you, this is kind of there's multiple ways that the the afternoon over there uh, can raise money for uh, Humane Society of Pinellas. So the walk sounds like that's one element, and the costume contest is another element. Not that somebody couldn't do both, but it sounds like you sign up for each of those things, and each of those helps raise money for the organization. Absolutely, absolutely, and we'll have some um, costumes there as well for those who maybe couldn't get a costume last minute for their dogs, and we'll have those there for a donation as well. We want everyone to enjoy. It's mostly important for you to come out and have fun with your pets and engage in the animal welfare, um, you know, in our community, and just learn more about our organization. We'll, we'll have great volunteers on staff to answer all questions, and uh, we look forward to everybody's participation. <laughs> Okay, well, I, I love I love working in the paw references as much as possible, so that's very cool. So again, this is uh, Walk for Whispers, uh, presented by the Humane Society of Pinellas, this Saturday, October 14th at Pioneer Park in Dunedin. It runs from 2 to 6, and you want to go to humanepinellas.org to find out more details, and especially if you're going to register for one or more elements of the event. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And it's so nice to be on your show again. Right. Likewise, Gracie, again, congratulations. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals Thank again. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Coming up on WNF, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman. After that, we shift back to music programming with Jim Bannon holding forth from 1 to 3, followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6. Then our terrific Wednesday night block of Latin music kicks in. Meanwhile, on this show is the most... Well, let's let's skip over that. Let's um, jump ahead to next week's show, which is going to be, I think, kind of cool and exciting as well. Um, so next Wednesday, I'll present a conversation with Pete Walsh, a Tasmanian man with no real background in natural history, but who became obsessed with the platypus, an enigmatic and poorly understood animal. In the process of learning about the platypus's plight, uh, tied to urban development in the capital city there of Hobart in Tasmania, Walsh befriends a female platypus he names Zoom. The story of this unlikely friendship and more is captured in The Platypus Garden, a film kicking off the new season of PBS's uh, Peabody Award-winning series Nature, and that kicks off next Wednesday, October 18th, which, not coincidentally, is uh, exactly when we'll air the interview. So, by way of reminder, please help me dig out of my uh, fundraising... Um, deficits. Go to WNF.org and donate on behalf of Talking Animals. If you didn't get a chance to pledge last week, people get busy. They're in a meeting. They're away. They're doing something. Or even if you didn't, you just want to help us dig out. We'd really appreciate it. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. We'll see you next Wednesday here on Talking Animals at 11 a.m. Thanks.